I share just uh, a couple things uh, this morning. Uh, first of all, just a little bit more uh, of an update, uh, just so you guys know, a couple weeks ago, we uh, shared about uh, a family that was in need uh, this uh, Christmas season and, and just going through a difficult time. Uh, Todd gave up, uh, came up and, and shared a little bit of uh, his testimony of what God did in his life uh, years ago uh, when some people gathered around them in the midst of a, a difficult time. And uh, we were able to bless a family with $2,000. Uh, so thank you to you know, everybody who gave that. So uh, that is absolutely awesome. And then I know uh, some of you guys weren't here last week, but uh, last week we had a couple uh, newly married, 21 and 20, Austin and Tate Bonima. And uh, their picture is up on the screen here. Uh, they came in and shared, and uh, they are on their way to Florida right now for a three-week training uh, to prepare to go to Zambia in March. And it was so cool. Um, I didn't record uh, last week. I forgot. I just was so uh, taken by their story and just listening to them. But I did put up on otherpeoplematter.org a, uh, a podcast that they were on uh, previously. So if you missed their story, uh, you, can, you can hear their story there. But here's just a young couple, um, 21 and 20, who are just uh, on fire for the Lord and looking to live every day surrendered to him. And where can I go to, to, to share the gospel, to share the hope that I have found in Jesus and uh, just a, a young couple with, with so much uh, passion and energy and wants to live wholeheartedly for the Lord. And so reflecting on that last week, um, I had two different uh, reactions. Um, first of all, I was like, man, it just, um, they represent my prayer for, for my kids and for the next generation. Um, seeing people just truly fall in love with the Lord. Um, that's been my prayer ever since my kids have been small and it's, it's their, my prayer for them today is that they just would love Jesus and know Jesus and live wholeheartedly for him. I don't, you know, I don't get much more complicated than that. It's just like, I just want them to know the Lord. And so first of all, like that was, you know, the big thing for me um, is just continue to pray for, for my family, for the next generation. But then secondly, I just thought of their, their passion and their fire for the Lord and you can say, okay, they're 21 and 20 and, and then their kids and then they'll, they'll see what happens over the years. But I'm like, man, I want that same fire and passion. I want that same hunger and desire for the Lord at 45, just like I had when I was 20. And I thought of the, the parable that Jesus talked about, of the uh, parable of the sower, where he goes and he sows a bunch of seeds in the field. And it says uh, the thorns, some of the thorns came up and, and choked out that seed. And does anybody remember what the thorns represented? The cares of the world. The cares of the world and the riches of the world got around it and choked out that seed. And I thought for me, like, I have to be so careful. We have to be so careful because we, God wants us to have that same fire and passion and desire for him. But the, the cares of the world, the riches of this life can come in and choke that out. And so we have to pray and actively war against the things of this world coming in to take away that, that passion, that joy that we have in Jesus. And so before I get going this morning, I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for families again, for real heart, that, that God would raise up families that are wholeheartedly devoted to him. I want to pray for, for our hearts, that our hearts would be soft towards him, that we would have uh, the joy of the Lord's salvation, uh, that we'd be walking around every day with our eyes open, fixed uh, on Jesus. And so let's pray. God, thank you. Uh, I just thank you, first of all, for another day. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that we can declare great is your faithfulness. Thank you that, that, Jesus, you hold us in the palm of your hand. That you give us life and breath and everything else. 
And we just recognize that, that everything comes from you. And Jesus, everything is for you. And so today, would you even show us how to live wholeheartedly for you? I pray for families. I pray, God, for, uh, for kids and families. God, that their hearts would be surrendered to you from an early age, that they would live wholeheartedly for you, that they would know you, Jesus. That's our prayer, that first and foremost, that they would just know you and love you wholeheartedly. But God, I also pray for us that are, that are older, that maybe had a fire years ago, but that has kind of dwindled away and kind of flickered away. God, that you would restore unto us the joy of your salvation. That you would fan into flame oh, just a desire for our first love, and that's you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus, that you first loved us, that while we we're still sinners, you died for us. And so we surrender all to you, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been, the last couple weeks, looking at uh, the book of 1 Peter. And if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we've been going through uh, the, the first part of 1 Peter and mainly focused on the word hope. Because uh, as we look at our culture today, as we, as we interact with people, there is a, a hopelessness that exists. And uh, just really felt led to say, you know, the... That's a huge issue that we have, and the, and the only cure for that hopelessness is the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. And so we've been looking at that over the last couple of weeks, and uh, this week I was taken by uh, a couple of verses in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 12. And Peter's writing to a group of people who were suffering persecution, who were scattered all over the known world. Many of them had, had left the homes that they grew up in and were scattered and being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. Now, the persecution was going to get worse. They are being socially excluded right now, but the persecution was going to get worse. Many would lose their life for following Jesus. But Peter writes to this group of people that are scattered, and he says this in verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And it's that phrase, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Sojourners and exiles. What in the world is a, a sojourner? We can kind of think of, okay, an exile, someone who is um, not living in their homeland. But this, this word sojourner is something that we do not uh, we don't use that word often. Maybe you use it. I don't use it all that often. But what is a, a sojourner? And here's a definition of, of what a sojourner is. is someone living in a country where they are not a citizen. Someone living in a country where they are not a citizen. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I love to go to a different country. I love flying into a different country, a third world country, or anywhere in the world. And I love landing at the airport. Hopefully you land at the airport. I guess that's where you land. Um, okay. Landing at the airport and then just looking out and seeing the different signs and the different cultures and the different ways that, that, that people are living. And you, you land in this airport and, and you, you see a different language and you see different customs and different um, type of lifestyles. And you immediately know that you are in a different country, that you are a foreigner. Now, a sojourner is someone different. It's not just someone who comes and, and stays in a country just for a short period of time and then leaves. A sojourner is someone who is living in a country where they're not a citizen. 
And so Peter is writing to this group that is scattered, that is exiled, that is not living in their home. And he's saying, this is a, a physical reality that you are a sojourner in exile. But I believe that he's also saying, this is who you are in the spiritual sense. That you are a sojourner, that you are living in a place that is not your home. Now in the Old Testament, we saw that the people of Israel were sojourners numerous times. They were in Egypt. They were in a land that was, was not their own, living at, as, as, uh, in a country where they weren't a citizen. And there were times where they were taken into exile, and that was their, their reality, but they also viewed their lives, viewed who they were as sojourners. In fact, David in Psalm 39 says, my, my life is like a breath, is here today and gone tomorrow. I am just a sojourner. King David when they were in Israel, he said, I'm just a sojourner. I'm just uh, someone who is living in a land where I'm not a citizen. And so they knew in a very spiritual sense that this was who they, who they were. In Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews says it this way, and I think it's absolutely powerful. It says, talking about people in the Old Testament, people were holding on to, to faith in God. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Next slide. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And so they had this perspective that they were desiring a better, better country, a heavenly one, one whose, whose founder and maker was God. And I often wonder, like, how do we see ourselves living in 2021 today? Do we see ourselves as, okay, citizens of, of America, and, and sure we are, but do we see ourselves as differently than that? Do we see ourselves as sojourners? Because Jesus even said this about us. He said, um, you're not of the world, just like I'm not of the world. Jesus had this perspective that, that, that we were strangers and sojourners in this world. In fact, uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 11, um, Eugene Peterson translate, translates it this way. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. And that's so challenging. I mean, we like to make ourselves cozy. We get cozies for Christmas. You know, and we love those things. You're like, nice, I'm going to get all cozy and this is my home. But, but, but Peter's writing, and I love this translation, this world is not your home. So that begs the question, where is home? Frankly, who is home? Let's uh, do something fun here. How would you describe home? Home could be a place where you live, but like, talk to me, like, what are those feelings of home? Something that maybe you've experienced this last week. How would you describe home? Cozy. Cozy. Loud. There you go. What's that? Loud. Loud. Yes. Depending on the number of kids. Loud. Safe haven. Comfortable. You guys said the same thing. Comfortable. Nice. That's awesome. Tracy was laughing back there. I just know Tracy. You were laughing. Probably like noise, loud. That represent your house with all the kids in there. I love this, uh, this way that uh, Cece's grandfather described uh, home this way. Home is where you can scratch where it itches. <laughs> I love that. And I love it because it communicates so much. Home is a place where you are comfortable, where you are safe, where you uh, can be 100% yourself, where you can scratch where it itches, where you can just be, be honest. 
And I think of where is our home. Our home is in Christ. We have become a people, a household of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We who were without hope, be housed, all of a sudden have hope, have a place to belong because of Jesus. Home is, is not some physical location. Home is being part of the family of God, being connected to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love that picture of home because, because home is, is, is a place where we can be 100% authentic with the Lord. Because of what he's done for us through his son, Jesus. And so really, what does it look like for us to be followers of Jesus, to find our home in Christ, and to live in this world as strangers, as sojourners, living in this place where we're not citizens, living in this land where we're not citizens? What does it mean to be a sojourner for us today? How does this affect every aspect of our lives? How does it shape how we are to live? Turn to one of my favorite passages, Philippians 3. And we're going to read a good chunk of Philippians 3. Because I believe Paul really understood this. Starting in verse 4 of Philippians 3. He said this, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see there, like early on, Paul is saying, my citizenship has changed. My life has changed. I went from being a Hebrew of Hebrews, someone who is, is so focused on even the, uh, getting everything right, having a righteousness that uh, is based on, on following the law. Paul saying, like, I was so zealous, I persecuted the church. When this new group of people rose up, I persecuted them because they were going against the way that I was raised. But then Paul encountered Jesus Christ, and his life was transformed to the point where he said, I consider all of that a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. It's like, that is what I'm living for. I just want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection because my life has been transformed. My citizenship has gone from one of being a Hebrew of Hebrews to another being someone who is completely lost in this goodness that he's found in Jesus Christ. So it talks about his, his transformation. But then I think, okay, Paul, how do you live this out? What does this look like? And he keeps going. He says, not that I have already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anyone, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this, that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes <clears throat> on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, 
walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that picture that he says our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our citizenship is. Like Our citizenship is in heaven. And because of that, his priorities changed, his passions changed, the purpose of, of Paul's life was totally transformed. And so how does he live? How does he live? It's pretty simple. He says, one thing I do. One thing I do. I strain for it. I keep my eyes focused on the goal. And it's this picture of somebody running a race. And uh, I, I've been to a couple of cross-country races. If you've been to a couple cross-country races, if you've seen any race, for example, like people are running and they get to the end of three miles, 3.1 miles, and their eyes are so focused on the finish. They're so focused, like, I just need to get to that line, and when I get to that line, I'll collapse and I'll be done. And so Paul is living his life with that type of intensity. He's like, I'm so focused on that moment when I see Jesus. It affects every aspect of my life. And so he says, one thing I do, I focus, but I also don't look around. I don't get distracted. And thinking of runners and distraction, there was this guy years ago that was running. Thanks, Todd. There was a guy who was running the steeplechase. And if you know what the steeplechase is, it's, I think, uh, 3,000 meters or so, where they're running around a track, and uh, on occasion they put a hurdle up. And then at the end of uh, the lap, there's a hurdle with a big water pit, and these guys run for a couple miles around this track and uh, hop over these hurdles. I just wonder, like, who thinks of these races? <laughs> let's, let's, let's have people run and then have them hop over uh, a hurdle. But there was this guy from the University of Oregon, Tangai Pepio, or whatever his name was. He was, this is a very pixelated picture, but he was ahead. Go to the next slide. He was ahead by a long way. And here he was celebrating. He's about to win this race, and he's celebrating. And he's looking around, looking to see if anybody uh, is next to him. And this is what happens. Next slide. He ends up losing to this guy from Washington. Because he looked to the left or to the right, and he slowed down and caused this guy, allowed this guy to pull ahead. In the next slide, you see exactly what's happened. Here he was ahead, celebrating, and he loses by that much. And for me, I just think of, of, of our lives and how we're to live as far as of Jesus. Paul is saying, keep your eyes focused on the prize. Don't get distracted. Don't look to the left or to the, to the right. Don't look behind. Stay focused on the prize. And I think of like, all, what are all the ways that we can get distracted in our lives? What are all the ways that we can lose sight of who we are as a citizen of heaven? What are all the ways that we can, can get off track? And I think of there's so many times where, where we can be distracted maybe by ourselves, by who we are. You know, Paul, he, uh, he says, I don't look in the back. I don't look in the past. And Paul could have been distracted by the past because Paul uh, killed Christians. He separated families. He did some horrible things, and he could have said, there's no way that God's going to love me because I did this, this, and this, and this. And so he could have been burdened down by his past. He could have been burdened by his present, distracted by his present, because he was chained in a prison when he's writing this letter. He's chained next to a guy, and he's writing this letter, and he's like, what has happened to me has turned out to the advancement of the gospel. And so Paul wasn't distracted by himself. Instead, he truly understood who he was. That as a follower of Jesus Christ, his righteousness did not come from any of his own ability, but his righteousness came from Christ and Christ alone. 
And so he wasn't distracted by himself. He wasn't distracted by others. I think so often we can get distracted by others and, and compare ourselves to others. To say, I can't sing like this person. I can't serve like this person. I'm not as smart as this person. We can look around and, and say, like, I don't have a life that looks like this person or that person. And we quickly compare what we know about ourselves and our lives to what we think we know about somebody else, but we really don't know their situation. We compare. And when we compare our lives to somebody else, we always end up losing. And so I think we can get distracted when we look at ourselves. We can get distracted when we look at others. And the truth is, in Ephesians 2, Paul says that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he set aside for you to do, not for somebody else to do. And this has been going on for thousands of years. It's constant comparison. Peter and John, two of the apostles of Jesus, in John 21, they're caught comparing one another. Because Jesus goes to Peter and says, you're going to die uh, by being persecuted. And he goes to John and he goes, you know, you're not. You're going to live an older, older life. And Peter's like, well, that's not fair. Like, what about him? And so there's this constant comparison even at the feet of Jesus. And so one of the ways that we can get distracted is when we compare ourselves to other people. I look around this room and, and God has gifted each one of you. God has sent you to a specific place. God has called you to a specific thing. That thing might look differently than my thing. But you have to serve and give your life wholeheartedly to Jesus because he has called you and gifted you to do that thing which he's called you to do. But I also think that, that we can be distracted by opportunities that this world throws at us. There's so much that entices us to have this world be our home, to live a cozy life, to get comfortable, to have our focus on material things, to have us focus on um, yeah, just things of this world. And Paul's saying, don't get distracted by that. Have your eyes focused on the, on, on the prize of Jesus. Go throughout your day not worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Go throughout your day seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness and looking for opportunities to expand the kingdom of God. Look for ways to, to impact and to share the hope that you have found in Jesus. This is how uh, someone who recognizes that they're a citizen of heaven lives. With this focus that every aspect of their life is to be lived wholeheartedly for Jesus. Earlier in Philippians, Paul says this. And this is a, a, a verse that is often found on a bug, often found on, on different things. And he said this. He says, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I wanted to sit on this verse for a while this morning. Because we can put this verse on a mug, we can put this verse on a, on a wall, but do we really believe this? This first part, for me to live is Christ. Do we really believe that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us? Is our, our deepest desire, our deepest motivation to live every day for Christ? That we have this attitude that all we care about is Christ. All we care about is, is his glory and his name and his renown. That's the desire of our hearts. Not all the other stuff. And I believe Paul was able to say this because his life was completely transformed by the gospel. He knew who he was. He knew he was lost. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was in need of salvation. And he went from, from one lifestyle of constantly wondering, is he okay in the sight of God? To all of a sudden being transformed into the family, into the household of God. And Paul, knowing that he had been adopted into that family. And so Paul's like, everything in my life, for me to live, is Christ. That is the deepest desire of my life. Is that your desire? 
Is that your deepest desire? As we start 2021, how would you fill in this blank? Go to the next slide. For me, living is blank. How would you fill in that blank? For you, living, to live is blank. I want to take 30 seconds. I'm not going to ask you to talk to the person next to you. I'm going to take 30 seconds of silence. And I want you to focus on this screen. How would you fill in this blank? For you, living is blank. For me, what I had to come to the realization of in 2020 was that a lot of my last couple years, if I'm being honest and confessing out loud, for me, living is being comfortable. For me, living is making sure that I have enough to take care of my family, and that's important. Okay, But for me, living is comfortable. Not being stretched too far. Just, yeah, being stretched a little bit, but being comfortable. And I was actually reminded this week as I was thinking about this verse of a story um, that happened to me back in, I believe, 1995. I didn't know he was going to be here, but Steve DeLoop over here. Um, I don't know if you remember this. Um, I didn't even know you were going to be here, so I could, uh, I was going to share this anyway. But I, um, I went to school, I went to Calvin, graduated in 1996 with a degree in accounting. Um, used that degree for a couple months and then got into ministry. And I was working at a, an accounting firm wearing a suit and tie every day up in Grand Rapids. Um, and I was, I was at a company that makes chocolate and nuts. And I'm sitting there in this dark room. I'm like, God bless accountants. I mean, the world needs accountants, okay? So this is nothing bad about accounting. But I'm like, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? And um, I called... My friend Steve, known for many years, called him up and said, you know, here's, here's where my life is at. And he said, why don't you come back and work for me? Because I had worked with him through an internship uh, at Prince Corporation way back in the day. He says, why don't you come back and work for me? And I said, he said, I just had a, a position open up under me. I said, okay, I'll get out of county, I'll go do this. And he says, what is God stirring in you? What is God calling you to do? And I said, I've been feeling called to go into to youth ministry and, and to do some different things like that. And he goes, okay, you're going to come back and you're going to work for me, but I'm going to fire you in 12 months. <laughs> and then he said this, he said this, because I don't want you to get comfortable. And I'll, that meant so much to me. I, I, I like, it's, that shaped every aspect of my life today. And the Lord reminded me of that this week. Is like, we can get so comfortable in this life. We can get going with our, our life and, and doing this or, or that, and it's like we can just slide into this routine, and we can lose sight of the purpose that God has called each one of us to, and is that to live is Christ, to live is wholeheartedly for Jesus, wholeheartedly for him, not to get comfortable, not to get complacent, not to just you know, get our cozy on and be nice and, and warm in this life, but to live wholeheartedly for him. 
And I think in our world, in our lives, there has become just a little bit of fear that has creeped up. We're trying to hold on to our lives, treating them as precious. And the Lord is like, no, I saved you. I rescued out of the kingdom of darkness, brought you into my family. This is where home is. And so I want you to live wholeheartedly for, for me. And so to live is Christ. For you to live is Christ. Wherever you go, school, work, wherever it is, for you to live is Christ. And here's the beautiful part. To die is gain. There's really no losing. To die is gain. If for some reason our life is gone on this earth, dying is gain because we get to see Jesus face to face, the one that we love, the one that we are living our lives for. And so there really is no losing, and that should actually make us just unshakable and, and, and so bold in how we live. And you know what? I'm living for Christ here in this earth, but if I die, man, that's gain for me. Because I get to see Jesus face to face and live forever with him. See, eternal living doesn't happen just, doesn't start when you die. No, it starts now. We can live in this relationship with God with, with, through his son, Jesus Christ. And then when we die, we continue to live that relationship with him. But we see him face to face and we got to go through this earthly thing called death. But we go from, frankly, from life to life as far as Jesus. And so there's no losing. And so as we begin 2021, I want us to think for us, for you, living is what? Living wholeheartedly for Christ because your identity is not as a citizen of this country, but as a citizen of heaven. And from here we await the returning of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're going to transition into a time of worship. And we're also going to take communion. And how we do this, I'm going to lead us in a couple songs. And as I start singing, uh, we're going to sing Amazing Grace, a song that Ellen is pretty familiar with. And we're going to go row by row to get the elements. You can grab a little bread, grab a cup, bring it back to your seats. So we're going to go row by row, go to your right, circle around, get the elements, and circle back. Does that make sense? Just one row at a time. And then we'll take in a little bit. So let's pray. And then... Uh, worship. God, thank you. Thank you for the hope that is found in you and you alone, Jesus. Thank you that that is certain, 100% secure because of you, Jesus. I pray that we would, like Paul, truly say for us to live is for you, Jesus that we would give you our everything because you gave everything for us. We love you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.